0: Hope you enjoyed uh, particularly that last song and um, something that I I almost on a regular basis pray for, not only for myself but for our congregation, is that we would actually pay close attention to the words in these songs that we sing. Um, Jeff does a very diligent job in, in making sure uh, he processes and look at the, the biblical um the biblical um, meaning and doctrine behind each song and, and the purpose uh, that the Lord has uh, in and through it uh, in accordance to Scripture, in accordance to His Word. And um, one of the things that I uh, continue to pray for is that we pay attention to the lyrics, to the words, not just something that we find ourselves just singing as if we were in our car driving somewhere, um, and just singing along to a favorite song, but that we truly see uh, as that last song uh, communicated to each and every one of us that uh, it is, hopefully it is our desire um, that Jesus would reign in us, and our desire would be for that, our attitude would be for that, Um, our actions would ultimately reflect that desire. And so one of the things that I uh, continue to hope and pray for our church is, um, what do we desire? What do we reflect? Um, what do we resemble? Not just on Sundays, not just on times when we go to church or do church activities or Bible studies or prayer time, however much that is or not so much that may be in your life, but Ultimately, who do we reflect? Do we reflect Christ? Do we resemble Christ? Or do we resemble the world? This is a conviction that I truly have um, weighing on me almost, uh, almost daily, if not daily, weekly, and something that is constant in my life is just Am I reflecting the world? Am I more like the world today than I was yesterday versus am I more like Christ today more than I was yesterday? And these are the convictions that I have. I don't know if they're the convictions that you have or if you've even processed it or thought of it in that manner. We all process things differently. Um, we all connect with God a little bit different depending on uh, our, our personality and our character and, and who we are in Christ and our experiences and so on and so forth. But with that being said, how do we truly relate to Christ? Do we reflect Him? Now with Resurrection Sunday come and gone um, and with, uh, hopefully, I hope you were blessed by the message. I know it was kind of fast and furious because of some time restraints and the the length of the passage in which we dove into last week with um, three pastors for that service. Um, But I hope you were blessed by that and ultimately pointed to Christ and pointed to the empty grave, the empty tomb, and ultimately understanding the resurrection of Jesus And in a way, it is uh, providential that we are continuing our time and and concluding and finishing up the last section in chapter 5 here in Romans. Um, But do we truly reflect Christ? Or do we reflect the world? Something that I hope weighs on you, and I hope in a way that it weighs on you in such that it's not a walking uh, just, negative, um, emotion that you have, but it's something that is constantly there as part of your filter as you go about your daily life, your daily routine. For me, a lot of times it's reflection, reflecting on my day, reflecting on my week, reflecting on a situation and, and being convicted by that and approaching God in prayer and repentance and, and, um, with a desire to ultimately learn from that and to grow from that. And even though that that, um, that process we go through, sometimes it it's needed over and over and over again and something that we can all learn to uh, appreciate and to apply to our lives and not be discouraged by it, but be encouraged. Now, as we get ready to prepare or to dive into our time together this morning here in Romans chapter 5 I must say I um, I wrestled with this quite a bit because I I was going to have a smaller section for us this morning but I decided to uh, not have a smaller section to 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 take the rest of chapter five reason being just contextually it's far more beneficial for us to to take on um, the rest of this section which would be Romans 5, cha- uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Um, with that being said, I hope that our time together is um, a segue from last Sunday, is a segue from, from uh, my introduction and, and just something for us to reflect on. And, and, and are we a, a resemblance of the world? Or are we a resemblance of Christ? Are we a reflection of the world? Or are we a reflection of Christ? Are we, uh, do we have a desire to be more like, the world or to be more like Christ. In our time together, we're going to see Paul really orchestrate um, quite a bit of, of doctrine here when it comes to sin and salvation. But One of the things I want to continue to ask you or for you to just have as a backdrop um, for our time together this morning is... Truly, what is your desire? What is your true desire? Is it to chase the things of the world? Or to seek Christ? To honor God? To worship Him? Before we go any further, let's pray. And then we'll begin to get into our text this morning. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. As we approach your word this morning, we ask that you would soften our hearts, humble our hearts, and our attitudes. May we be open to the convictions that you are going to give us this morning through your word and the Holy Spirit, that through our time together that we would be able to grasp a deeper understanding of who Jesus truly is, and your desire for us to live in and through him, above all things. So bless us this time, and may this message and our fellowship honor you in all things, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So as we look through the first section of chapter 5, I know it's been a a couple of weeks, and, and really looking at... Um, verses 1 through 11 and um, that couple of sections that we went through and the benefits of righteousness and what righteousness is and the blessings that come from that and God's desire for us to have this righteousness um, ultimately to live a life in accordance to all in and through and because of Jesus Christ. Paul makes a, a, a big shift here as we get into verses 12 through 21. And the shift ultimately is be going to begin to show us that, the, that this is really serving as almost a, a reflection or not, I don't want to say a summary, but a reminder in a sense of some of the things that we've looked at, the, all the previous chapters in Romans, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and even verses 1 through 11 in chapter 5. Now, there's going to be some specific things that you're going to recognize in there, particularly from uh, Romans chapter 3 and the preceding verses in Romans chapter 5. You're going to see some hints of the things that are in there from Romans chapter 1. There's going to be some overlap. I've even chosen some um, supporting passages. Um, we'll see if you uh, recall them or not. I even chose one that was from last week just to continue on with the the connection there, and to truly understand what Paul is trying to communicate to us in and through this section of Romans chapter 5. And why is, this, why is this important? Because this is almost a pivotal moment in how Paul is beginning to display, Paul is beginning to teach us, right, and help us further understand the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of salvation, right, and encompassing all of that and what we've already gone through, and then transitioning into what is to come in chapters 6, 7, and 8. He will um, begin to to show us these different subjects, these these different understandings, but basically we're going to see a comparison between the first Adam and the second. Now, if you're not quite sure of that reference, we will cover that quite extensively in our time together this morning, but it is the comparison between Adam from Genesis and the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the second Adam. Paul is going to give us this contract and trying to help us understand, ultimately understanding the context in which this letter to the Romans or those in Rome, right, as they continue to struggle with, who Christ is and ultimately what he did on the cross, who he is, right? Not just what he has done, but who he is and who he still is to this day. Ultimately trying to point them to the doctrine of grace. Something that we've covered over and over again. Something that we will continue to see and be at the forefront of our time together. Basically, we will see these links, and hopefully we will clearly, um, very clearly see how Christ's work on the cross and the resurrection of Christ, that work of Christ altogether, um, truly outweighs the work of Adam. Before we go any further, let us read our passage this morning, starting in verse 12 of Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read the whole thing. I know it's um, quite a few verses, but bear with me. And try to pay attention to the contrasts that are going back and forth here. I know it's hard when we do a straight reading with some of these. It may be a little confusing, but then I will come back to it and we'll walk slowly through it. Um, I must Say, though, I'm not going to dive into each individual verse as much as I have or I I typically do. Reason being is there's a lot of overlap here. So if you have not listened to any of my messages for the past several weeks, um, it it might not be enough for you or it might not be sufficient. Um, So I encourage you to go back and listen to those or dive into this chapter as a whole a little bit further. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the, wor- in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those came in to increase the trespass, but but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, Paul moves us into the depths of this doctrine of sin and salvation a little bit further, okay? Now, if you've never read through this before, or you weren't reading, you were just listening to me, you might have been confused, not because of, of me not reading it well, but just because there's a lot of back and forth that's going on here, and there's a lot taking place. Paul's been teaching on this over and over again since the beginning of this book, this letter. Paul identifies Adam as the man whose actions affected all humanity. Basically, the actions of Adam is essentially the one who brought what? What did he bring? Sin, death to all men, right? Do we remember in Genesis 3? We'll go back there and I'll look at that briefly throughout our time together, but he brought this mortality and this death to all humankind. Now, this is not a particular sin, but an inherent um, sin that's, that's passed down through the seed, that's passed down through the line, that's passed down from Adam. Being the first man, the first of creation as humankind, we have all descended from Adam. Ultimately, this propensity to sin has come from Adam, okay? Has come from Adam. Um, basically, we have become sinners by nature. We have become sinners by nature. This is one of the reasons or one of the ways that I, I when I talk to individuals who say, I was born this way, regardless of their arguments, And I said, yes, you are born this way. You're born a sinner. What you're doing is a sin. Well, I was born this way to to like this or to like that or to do this or to do that. That's fine. What if I was born to be a mass murderer? Is that okay? Well, you can't be born that way. Well, who's to say, who are you to say I can't be born that way? If you can say you're born this way, then I can say I'm born this way. Ultimately, we're what? We're chasing our tail. We're going in circles. It means nothing because ultimately, unless we can truly understand what? That we are a sinner, then we can have no common ground. This is one of the reasons why it becomes very difficult in witnessing to certain individuals, especially certain generations of people, right, during our current, In our current culture and society, one of the things that um, I know that the ladies are going through if you're part of the women's study of apologetics is understanding these different doctrines and not only that, certain arguments to these doctrines so you know how to respond, you know how to answer, you know how to, as the scripture says, be able or you must be able or you must um, uh, be ready to give an answer for the reason of the hope that lies Within you. Ultimately, we are inerrantly, it's passed down to us from Adam, right? The propensity, the desire, um, the longing for sin. See, one of the things that we continue to struggle with is sin. Not because we have sin in our life, but we continue to deny the very fact in which where it comes from. You're born this way. And Paul is going to show us this contrast between Adam and Christ. Ultimately, hey, you're born this way, but you don't have to remain this way. I don't have it up here, but turn with me to Psalm 51 real quick. I was just going to reference it, but I want to actually take you there. Psalm chapter 51. We can start in verse 1, that's fine, and and I'll point out the reference for you. It says, uh, Psalm chapter 51, verse 1 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. So we kind of see what this psalm, this this, this hymn is going to be about, right? Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Okay? Now, we, it, we all should know the sins of David when he was king. If you don't know, then there's some homework. I'm not going to give you the answer. Okay? This was something, a psalm that he wrote after being confronted about his sin. And so we see the, the desire or the repentance in here. God, give me your grace, give me your mercy, because I'm a sinner. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. When's the last time you equated your sin to evil? Have you ever done that? Have you ever had that perspective of sin? So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. Now listen here verse 5 this is the reference. Behold I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Okay? Now he wasn't conceived in sin, right? We know that he was anointed very early on, okay? Right the king at the time, there's another who was the king before David? we should all know this as well, right there's some more homework if you don't okay he was anointed as a young man he was all his other brothers were passed over okay they were a righteous family so it wasn't his conception wasn't sinful but he was sinful at conception ah wait a second if we're sinners at conception then when does life begin? I know it's a little bit of a tangent but I'm up here, you're not, so bear with me. Life starts at conception. If you ever had a question about abortion or when does life begin, we can see very clearly in Scripture, it's not just here in Psalm 51, but it's all throughout Scripture. We can see when life begins. So we see right here, David even knew that he was a sinner at conception, and he's repenting for that. He's understanding that. He knows. Verse 6, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Verse 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. When's the last time we prayed anything like this? Understanding that our sin is evil. Understanding that we are born Sinners, and this is something that we need to continue to work on in and through Jesus Christ. When's the last time we prayed that God would cleanse us? Well, uh, Pastor Raph, I signed this card that said that I said a prayer and, and I'm saved now, so I'm going to heaven, so I still have that card, so that's my ticket. And so because I'm a Christian now, that's already happened. None of that really matters. It, citing a card, raising a hand, walking down an aisle, saying a prayer does not save you. I've said this many times before in the past. This is not salvation. Are these all possible outward expressions of salvation that is occurring within us, of God pulling us to Him, God choosing us? Yes. Yes. But those acts in and with themselves do not save you. Don't get it twisted. Don't be confused. We must understand that we need to have a continued prayerful life of repentance, of understanding our our, our sinful fleshly desires that are within us. Because as soon as we think that I had a coming to Jesus moment and as long as I had a coming-to-Jesus moment, then after that I just go and live happy, live free, right? Be merry. We miss the point. We squander the gospel. Paul is making it very clear here that we have this sin that has been passed down inherently to us, through the line of Adam, it's everyone, everyone, everybody, all people. We've looked at that at Romans chapter 3. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need to learn that we need to make our aim that it's no longer, right, to please Satan, but as believers, our aim should be to please God. But the thing is, if we don't have that understanding or that view of sin, sin pleases Satan. Wow, really changes your perspective, right? Sin pleases Satan. Thing is, that should no longer be our aim because that's what we're born into, and we have this inerrant, this innate desire within us to please Satan, to sin, right? Like I've said before, no one taught my children how to sin. They just started doing it. I don't get what I want. I'm going to scream. Unfortunately, no longer it's children. It's these grown children that are walking around They don't get their way. They scream. It's a sin problem. It's a sin problem. It's no different from a child throwing a fit in a grocery store in an aisle because they can't get the toy on the shelf. They don't get their way. It's a sin problem. Just in case we've forgotten, right? And I'm going to spend more time on this because this is going to continue to build up that platform, that stage, that backdrop for us as Paul continues to walk us through this comparison between sin in Adam and salvation through Christ. Genesis chapter 3. I'm just going to start in verse one. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did, did God actually say to you, shall, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Oh, right there, we can see how Satan operates. Okay, Satan operates by getting you to doubt God, to doubt what God said. So many Christians are led astray because they think, right, or they listen to someone else who thinks they have a higher intellect. How much have we looked at in Scripture over the past weeks and months of what we've gone through to where there are these people in these different groups, these different sects, these different cults, right? They would come in and they, they thought they had a higher intellect. It's not just Jesus. It's Jesus and this. Ultimately, they're saying, well, did God really say this? Or did God really mean this when he said this? Man, I hear that. Every time I hear that, when I have a conversation with someone who is a believer or not a believer, and they say that, I think of the serpent. people might have the same understanding as we go through it. And, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but, oh, well, sin is death. Well, Pastor Raff, I sin all the time. I'm not, I'm not dying. It's like you're already dead, spiritually. Yes, don't get me wrong. Some sins doesn't bring instantaneous death. But, Sin does put you on that path, right, to death and destruction, as opposed to the path of righteousness and blessings. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes hmm she looked upon it oh that must be good that must be delicious that's delightful to look at hmm think of the sins in your life any correlation any similarity As soon as they sinned, as soon as they broke the one rule, the one law that God had given them, everything changed. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They're hiding from God. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Now we can see, we can read Genesis 3 and see very clearly, right? Almost every situation in our personal lives when it comes to sin. When we sin, do we run to God or do we hide from God? When we're tempted, is it a delight to us? A desire that is awoken within us? Why do we sin? It completely obliterates the understanding that if you're a Christian, you had some magical wand waved above you, and you poof, you're this new being, you're in this new creation, you have no more desire to sin, sin is no longer a problem for you, and you go skipping happily ever after. That's not the reality of the life in which we live. Of even the scriptures in which God gives us. Yes, we are a new being, we are a new creation, but how? How is this to come? What does the scripture tells us by the transforming and renewing of our minds? How long you've been a sinner? Well, since birth, no, since conception, you started out a sinner 10 months before you were born. You ever thought of that? I'm born. You've already been a sinner for 10 months. Sin's got a jump start on you. We can't think for some reason. We live a life of sin and we become and we come to Christ and we become a Christian and we think, oh, I'm in Christ now. I'm completely protected from sin. No more temptation. No more struggles. And we bite into this lie of that we no longer need to continue to be sanctified. We completely miss the sanctification process. We think justification, righteousness, atonement. These are all words we've covered before in the past, right? In previous teachings. Atonement, redemption. And then for some of us, we think, ah, glory. And that's not it at all. Yes, it's all those things in the beginning. And then it's sanctification. The running of the race. And then glorification. But before glorification, it's, ah, well done, good and faithful servant. Ah, you miserable, lazy servant. You've squandered what I've given you. not a perfection but it's a journey it's a a a path right that god sets us on and then we walk that path as christians we see very clearly the effects of sin and as god comes and god says where are you And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave to to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate immediately. Adam blames who? God. We continue on and read the rest of the story, and we can read the punishments and the things and how even Eve responds. It's like, ah, well, the snake you put. And they continue to blame and blame and blame and blame. Sin has entered. The thing is, we've become so complacent in our westernized Christianity. In our modern-day, 21st-century church, we've become so complacent. We don't want to talk about the evil. We don't want to talk about the bad. We don't want to talk about the sin, because that's not happy. It's not warm and fuzzy. How do you know how to stand against your enemy if you don't even believe he exists? As I said, Paul moves into these depths and helping us trying to understand and making our aim ultimately should be as Christians to no longer please Satan, but to please God. I bet no one's ever told you that. It's part of the gospel message as salvation Saying, oh, you're saved, you're, you've been born again, you're a new creation, you're now in Christ, you're now a Christian, now your aim is no longer to please Satan. You're like, whoa, wait, please Satan? Yes, you are a Satan pleaser. Now your aim is to please God. What do you mean I was a Satan pleaser? See, the thing is, is as I've always said, there is no good news unless you understand that there's bad news first. And the bad news is you're born a sinner, eternally separated. Turn me to first John chapter three. Don't worry, I'm gonna draw us back into uh, our text. But we must grasp this understanding of the sin and the sin nature for us to continue to understand Paul's teaching here 1 John chapter 3 verse 4 everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness sin is lawlessness You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Well, Pastor Raph, does the scriptures really mean the devil? Yes, the devil. Sound familiar? When Satan told Eve, did God really say this? For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil." Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So we see very clearly, right, what a life of sin is pointed towards. The desire is for, right, and we see a life with the With a a righteous life, they don't take this righteousness as perfection. A lot of times, as Christians, we get um, discouraged when we say, You must be righteous. You must walk in righteousness. If you're not, you're not a friend of God. You're not saved. That's not the case. The case is this What is our desire? Well, I want to please God. Awesome. But Pastor Raph, I I feel as if I don't want to please him. Is that all the time? Do you want to push God away? You don't want to honor God, or you don't want to think of God, or you don't want to please him? It's like, well, no, there's just times that I feel that way. We all go through that. Well, there's times that I, I want to honor God and please God, but then, and, and there's, there's moments of weakness and I fall into those moments of weakness. It's okay. You can still be righteous because in those moments of weakness, it's the choice that you make moving forward. Do you have an attitude for God or an attitude for sin? When my moment of weakness Do I choose repentance and acceptance of the grace and mercy that God has for me? Or do I choose a denial or pushing away? Don't be discouraged by passages such as this. But understand that if you are saved in and through Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a child of righteousness, and your life, your desire, your your direction should be pointed that way, no matter how bumpy the road may be. But if you're a child of the devil, of sin, then you're going to lack conviction. You're going to lack any desire to want to please God you're not going to care. You're going to make excuses. You're going to blame God. You might even say, well, did God really say that? When Adam sinned, all mankind sinned and brought physical and spiritual death and depravity. And this is what has been passed on each and every one of us. Paul shows us that even before the law, people died because of Adam's sin. Again, we've looked at this in the past. We're going to look at it again here, moving into verse 14 here in a moment. But even though Adam infected humanity with death, Christ injected humanity with life. I know we look at some verses here, as we see in Romans 5 that I've already read. It may seem as if Christ died and all are saved. That's not the case. We will address that momentarily. But with or without the law, people sinned and died because of Adam's disobedience, as seen in Genesis chapter 3. Turn me to 1 Corinthians 15. This should be uh, freshly on your minds um, if you listened or were uh, attended our Easter service. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Hmm. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. A reminder of the testament, of the contrast between Adam and Jesus. Let's move on to verse 14. Verse 14 says, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come and the one is to come is Jesus. Now, Paul briefly uh, elaborates on the death and sin prior to the law, um, that even with the law, death was universal. All men from Adam to Moses were subject to death, not because of their sinful acts against the Mosaic law, but because of their own inherited sinful nature. Because death did reign or death was present, and we saw that, um, the effects of that from Adam and on through Moses, we can see that sin was apparent. Now, because Adam was the first created person, um, his consequences um, were ultimately at a, a very significant level. As we can see, and we are all paying the consequences of that sin. Now we're going to continue on, and we're going we might go a little quicker in some areas, but I want us to, uh, to truly understand, right, through this that we have this uh, inherited. Sinful nature is what we received from the first sin in Genesis 3 from Adam, that is passed down through the seed, through the line, through all the descendants, okay? Now, you go and choose to sin, that sinful act isn't because of Adam, that is because of you and the sinful nature within you, okay? Does that make sense? We don't sin as like, oh, that's Adam's fault, right? can't blame Adam for all of that, for all of those things. Just the initial sin, the original sin that took place and entered into the line, into the seed, that is what we inherited from that point on. Let's move on to verses 15, 16, and 17 in Romans chapter 5. Verse 15 says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. So now we're beginning to see some of this comparison, some of this contrast. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Now, Paul begins to give us some of this contrast between Adam and Jesus. The first contrast is between the offense of Adam and the free gift of Jesus Christ. Um, We see by this trespass, by the first man, many have died, right? So basically, death entered, right? Adam and Eve, if The first sin never happened, and they would just be them in the Garden of Eden, essentially living forever, um, so on and so forth. But that did not happen. Death entered in, and now we see that because of that, there's a physical death and a spiritual death. The free gift um, basically um, is what we see, um, and very specifically from our time together last week, in and through the cross, Right, and we've talked about that—that um, that redemption, that justification, right—the blessings of righteousness um, in and through Jesus Christ. Ultimately, experiencing or even having this this marvelous manifestation of grace that we receive because of the cross, um, through His sacrificial death, the gift of eternal life has been offered to many. So now we begin to see this contrast. And because of Adam, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, as we've seen in Romans chapter 3. We've inherited this, this sinful nature, the total depravity, right, of humankind, okay? The desire to want to please Satan. But because of Christ, we've seen how this grace... Has come in and has paid the price. Right, covers many sin. Turn with me to John chapter three. Now I know a lot of us are very familiar with um, the Gospel of John, particularly chapter three verse sixteen. But a lot of times we fail to read before and after that. We're gonna we're gonna look at the verses after verse 16, or I'm sorry, yeah, verse 16, um, to get a better understanding of what this means and the clarification. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So a lot of times we get stuck on this, and we get particularly stuck on the, the word world, okay? Okay. And similar to this, we can get stuck on many or all or um, the reference to that here in Romans chapter 5. But let's keep reading. Verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So we see there, it's not for everyone, okay? It's for believers only. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. So we see part of Romans chapter 1, the total depravity, right? And those that reject and those that will always reject, right? Less his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And we see a lot of specifics and clarity here in um, verses 17 through 21 of John chapter 3. Um, Next time someone quotes John 3.16... Maybe you can read these other verses to give some context to what Jesus is really trying to teach here. So we see in and through this what Paul is trying to communicate to us. Let's get back to our text and moving on to verse 16. It says, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So let's look. Yes, Adam gave sin nature to everyone because of the original sin. We inherited that. But look what Jesus did. This is what the cross did. This is what redemption did. This is the other contrast between Adam's sin and Christ's gift, um, for on one hand, Adam brought uh, inevitable judgment and condemnation, but Christ brought the free gift, on the other hand, which dealt with our many offenses, acquitting us of our sins, okay? Not only did the, did the empty tomb conquered death, right, okay, which took care of the original sin, okay, of what happened, that consequence, but then it also covers all the sins we have done, past, present, and future, within that sin nature, okay? So there's the responsibility or the consequence of what Adam did, but then we have the responsibility and consequence of what we have done or what we do. I hope that makes sense, but grace had a much more difficult road to travel than sin, okay? How can we compare this? Compare it as this, as sin as like an infectious disease. When you get an infection or a virus or even um, whether it's cancer or COVID or whatever it may be, when you get infected, then what does it do? Then it spreads. Very easy, right? Some more rapid than others. But to have that treated or to have that cure, it takes much more work and time, so to speak, okay? Not to, to, to limit or water down the, the cross, justification, redemption, right? Mercy and grace, because that's instantaneous. But it shows how much work that is or the work that was done on our behalf in and through Christ on the cross. See, sin is an infection in which we have. Sin is something that we have inherited. And not only that, but it is a a desire within us of our flesh, of the world, for us to ultimately eradicate by the workings of Jesus Christ and of Jesus Christ alone. Verse 17, For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, this grace is this amazing thing, right? And um, do we truly see how we are delivered from sin, from death, because of the work of Christ? Right? And to me, this should remind us of, you know, where God tells us in Matthew look at the birds of the air, look at the grass, look at the flowers. See how God provides for them. Now, this is paraphrased Pastor Raph, okay? Look how God provides for all of them. How much more do you think God cares about you than those things? And in the same way, we need to have that perspective when it comes to salvation, when it comes to Christ. Wow, all this sin, all this hatred, all these bad things, all of this and all of that, it can be very overwhelming. Wow, we are born with sin nature, total depravity. God saves us. How much more do you think God cares about us Than what Adam did. Then we begin to truly experience and comprehend to a certain degree the true grace and mercy of the cross. Do we really understand and appreciate the grace that we've received? Your salvation. Turn me to Philippians chapter three. Philippians chapter three, verse seven. But whatever gain I had, I counted it, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Do we truly understand and appreciate the grace, the salvation that we've received? Or do we take it for granted? Do we see Uh, Everything else in our lives as rubbish, as nothing compared to the cross. We need to truly understand and begin to comprehend, if we don't already, and I think a lot of us do, that this final contrast that Paul is giving us between disobedience of Adam and the obedience of Christ that we are truly blessed. That we are truly blessed to be part of the family of God. That we can see what Adam has done, the inerrant sin that has been brought, that this disobedience of the first man basically entered into the entire race of mankind is condemned as sinners, has ultimately been wiped out by the obedience of the second man, Christ, that the many will be made righteous, a right standing before God. What a blessing. Let's turn to Second Corinthians chapter 5. 2nd Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them of God. And we struggle so much with this because we miss this very small part of passages such as this one. Pastor Raph, I struggle with being righteous. I struggle with making the right choices. I struggle with rejecting sin. How, 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 how? Why, why, why? And we're searching for answers, and the answers are right in front of us. They're right here in Scripture, and it says, in Him. In Him. Are you in Him? Well, I'm saved. That's not what I asked. I didn't ask if you were saved. Are you in Him? Abide in me as I abide in you, He says. Scripture tells us, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. How? How will we know His perfect and pleasing will by, why? The transforming and renewing of your mind. How do we honor God? Be a living sacrifice. So many answers. So simple. So plain. Right in front of us. Pastor Raph, how? Why? Why can't I? It's right here. And I know we, we... Not only we think, but we know, we've experienced. It's not that simple. This is why, and and I'm a little bit off topic here, but this is why fellowship is so important. We must do things together. Because even though we may be saved, even though we have the scriptures, even though we get in the word, even though we get in prayer, we need one another to carry each other on. Do you think for an instant that Jesus couldn't have carried the cross on his own all the way to Golgotha, that he needed someone to help him? See, sometimes we may feel that we can carry our own cross. We can do it on our own. But what we really need is just someone there with us. And this is why fellowship, this is why the body of Christ is so important, is needed. It's part of the commands that we see in God's word. It's a desire that God has for us. Because it's not, we are not meant to do this alone. We can. And are have the desire within us to be righteous, to be sons of righteousness, and not sons of disobedience. Let's get back to our text, our last couple of verses here, verses 20 and 21. it says, "Now the law came in to increase the trespass, But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, although the Mosaic Law is not flawed in any way, but it's essentially we must understand the purpose of the Mosaic Law, right? It, it it says, now the law came in to increase the trespass. So wait a second. Are you saying that the law came to increase our sins? No. The law came to expose our sins even more. See, yes, Adam to Moses, no law. Then we get the Mosaic law that started then, right? We can go and look at Exodus and look at these different things and see when these different laws were given and what, when, where, how, right? Maybe some more homework you can do. But understanding that, look, we needed so much help that we needed these laws because we began to pull away from God so much as, as a human race, right, as sinful people, laws needed to be instilled to expose The sin, right, that we had. Man's man's sin increased because laws were given, not because they began to sin more. It's just their sins were exposed that were already there. This is just the context of this area. But this made men more aware of their own sinfulness and inability to keep God's perfect standard. And it was designed to, to direct, to drive them to Christ, as it should be for each and every one of us. It should drive us to Jesus. We should be able to look in Scripture and understand what? Our convictions if you ever go to a church and you're never convicted, don't go back. That's the purpose of the scriptures. That's the purpose of messengers for God, of true pastors and preachers, to convict with God's word, not their own word, to convict in and through God's word. And what is the conviction? The conviction comes through the Word, comes through the Holy Spirit, and speaks to each and every individual, some more than others, some depending on a lot of different things. But it, it, for all of us, it may be different. It's okay. But understanding this, there should be conviction there. Part of the sanctification process. Yes, I have met people and say, you know, I don't really don't struggle with sin. Oh, really, you've entered glory. What does God look like? What does heaven look like apart from revelation? Typically, we need to embrace the convictions that we have as opposed to, I don't have any convictions whatsoever. It should be an embracing of the convictions that we know that God is working in and through us, that is a part of us knowing that we are saved, is being convicted by God's word. Not, oh man, I, 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 I'm doing this wrong and I'm doing that wrong. and Oh man, I'm, I'm such a bad person. No. What does the scriptures tell us? A father that loves his son will discipline him. A father that loves his children will discipline them. Have you ever thought about that? The convictions that you give is like, wow, God, thank you for loving me so much. You're willing to show me how I need to be better, how I need to be more like Christ. The areas in my life over here that I haven't dealt with, you're exposing those because your desire for me, your love for me is to be more like you. Ah, gives a new perspective to those who, oh. They always want to think about negative things. They always want to point out this. They always want to do that. Why do you think we have the scriptures? Salvation, sanctification. Right? But in the bigger picture of glory, eternity in heaven, salvation, sanctification is really a little blip in the map compared to eternity. This is what Paul is trying to help us understand. Yes, even though because of Adam, sin has entered all mankind, look at what Christ has done. Far more impactful, far more powerful, far more significant than the fall of man is the redemption of man. We have to see, we have to understand that we are flawed. We are not perfect, but do we have a desire to embrace those flaws in a way that, okay, I need to work on this because God reveals them. He reveals them, whether it's a Sunday message, whether it's through prayer time, whether it's through a Bible study, whether it's through a conversation with a godly friend, God will reveal them many different ways. And as he reveals them, it's now on you to be a good steward of that conviction of your salvation. That's why the scriptures say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work. That work doesn't save you, you're already saved. That work sanctifies you in and through the work of God in and through Jesus Christ. We need to understand that this sinfulness is something we're born with. Something as believers we have to battle. We have to work on. We have to continue to be cleansed. We have to continue to have the transforming and renewing of our mind. Turn me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Don't worry, we're almost done. Galatians chapter 3, verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. The law exposes the sin to bring us to Christ. Once we're with Christ, what happens then? His word, the Holy Spirit convicts us sanctify us, ultimately, to be more like Jesus. We have to understand that this reign of sin, this inflicting death on all men has been ended by this grace, is reigning, should reign within us, as um, Jeff sang this song, that through righteousness, giving eternal life through Jesus, Ultimately, should be our Lord and Savior. This is the final um, analogy, so to speak, of Adam and Christ. And um, we can't help. Um, well, we can't help. We can't choose. We can't deny the fact that of being in Adam. We're all born into that, of being in Adam. But see, the thing is, is that we do, right? We can experience being in Christ, being in Christ, a second birth, a new birth that will put you in Christ. This is why Jesus tells us in John 3, John uh, chapter 3, verse 7, that um, to be born again You need Christ. So are you in Adam? Or are you in Christ? Do you desire the world? Or do you desire the Savior? Where are your desires? Where are your thoughts? Your heart? Your motives? What are you truly seeking after? We're going to conclude with this first Timothy chapter one. First Timothy chapter one verse twelve. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord because he judged me, faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. And we see here this, this, almost this confession, but ultimately should be something that is encouraging to all of us, that no matter how bad we think we are, there's someone Worse than you. And Jesus said, yeah, I, I paid the price for you. And that person. Yeah, sin is strong. The sin nature is something you cannot avoid. But how much stronger, how much greater, how much more abundant is the cross, is the grace and mercy that has been given to us in and through Jesus Christ. So is our desire for the world, are we still living in Adam? Or are we living in Christ? Ultimately, Paul wants us to truly understand, look, you inerrantly write, You inherited this sin nature. But you don't have to continue to live in it. Choose Christ. For he chose you. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for our time this morning. And we pray. I pray, Lord God, that we would be more like Christ each day. That we would truly see. That we don't have to live in this sin nature. That we can fight against it. That we can turn to you. That we can point to you. That we can look to you each and every day. No matter how weak we may feel. No matter how much we feel that we don't have even a a glimpse. Even a, a, a drop of desire, Lord God. We know that you are there for us, that you encourage us and lift us up, and may we see our convictions in and through the Scripture and the Holy Spirit, Lord God, as a love for us, a desire for us to be more, more like Christ, to be sanctified. So, Lord, I ask that you continue to press upon each and every one that is here and listening to this message. Those convictions and that grace and mercy in and through your love. Your love that was shared to us on that cross. And We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.